Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. There's a lot of legends, icons, not so many. This one, he's every bit of it. A face of an industry, the face of a brand, and a gentleman, one that hasn't changed a bit along the journey. But who is Dick Johnson? Oh boy, Um, just a guy who I suppose grew up um, in Cooparoo in Queensland, in Brisbane. Um, lived on the south side all our life sort of thing and uh, I had a father who's a, <laughs> he's an Irishman, he was an Irishman and uh, a very caring mother mm. and basically just grew up, um, all I ever wanted to do was drive cars and, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that for a living. The face of Ford for over 40 years but the journey actually started in a Holden. Oh, well, no one's perfect, I suppose, <laughs> given the fact that my old man, uh, albeit he was an Irishman, as I said, and he um, he actually, he was the sales manager of Eagers, who were the biggest um, Holden distributors, or General Motors distributors, even back then, uh, in, in Brisbane. So, uh, obviously, he drove Holden, so I was brought up with those, and and I enjoyed sort of the fact that um, you know, I started racing Holdens, obviously for that because I was very passionate about it. Yeah. And and then the opportunity came uh, for me from uh, when Brian Burt from Brian Burt Ford said to me, um, "Would you like to drive my car?" And after I'd been paying for all of my own uh, racing over many many years, and and. Uh, Right at that point in time, I couldn't have cared if it was a Skoda, mate. I would have jumped at it, and, uh, <laughs> which I did. And uh, fortunately for me, it's been a, a good journey. Back then, did you think motor racing was a genuine career path or was it more, and very simply, a young fella having fun? Well, it started off being a young fella having fun and, and it got to the point where you know, I became reasonable at it and, mm. and I thought, well... You know the opportunities there. If I can, if I could make a living, or try to make a living out of something you enjoy doing, isn't isn't that the main aim of life? Is to be able to do something you enjoy. When was that point? When was the point you figured I might be able to combine passion and profession? Well, it's it needs more than one person. Like uh, uh, Jilly was, you know, a huge part of it for the mm. simple reason that um, um, uh, it was very interesting because. You know, we got to a point back in nineteen um, in nineteen seventy nine when, after with Brian Burt, unfortunately died in nineteen seventy eight from cancer at a very young age, and and then 
I ended up driving uh, for 12 months with uh, with Brian Burt Ford still, which mm. the, the, the then the he was the the guy who bought it, uh, along with a couple of other guys, was the uh, was the general sales manager, and uh, and uh, through respect to the family, they kept you know the motor racing going mm. for twelve months, and and then when Cams decided they'd change the rules again, and uh, and they'd sort of go from the old uh, the old group days where you know we had hotted up road cars and mm. things like that, but. They changed things because it got a bit too too difficult. And Brian Burt Ford said, uh, John Harris said, look, you know, we're, we can't do this anymore. It's, mm. it's going to be too expensive. Well, yeah, that's happened a number of times through my career, even with John's up and mm. things when I was driving his car. But uh, so what I did is I said to, to Julie, I said, look, we've got two choices here. I said, you know, we've got a, a pretty good business in the, in the service station. We had a Shell Servo. And uh, I said, we can do one of two things. I said, we can, we can just, I can, to be quite honest, I can sort of give up racing, concentrate on the business and, and uh, you know, we can sort of go on uh, doing what we're doing and just try and enjoy life in that respect. Mm. Otherwise, we can, uh, I can see an opportunity here where we can mortgage the house and, and get enough money to buy the bits off Brian Burt Ford uh, with this new uh, category that was, you know, being created, mm. and we can go forward, and I reckon there's a fair chance that we can win. And I said, if we do that, um, I said I'll be the happiest guy in the world. But you know, if we just have the servo, you got to probably live with the most miserable prick you've ever met. So <laughs> you'd remortgage the house. You've got a young family. Uh, this is. 1979, 1980, and the next 12 months was maybe Australian sports' biggest emotional roller coaster ride, not just for the driver, but for the people watching on TV and the supporters of, of motor racing. What unfolded over 12 months? Well, Amazing. It's, well, it certainly was. It's, it's something they could never, ever plan, something like you know, the, what ensued after this was just amazing. Um, we sort of went to Bathurst with a car that was really capable of winning the race because that was obviously what I wanted to do all my life. Mm. Was, hey, the, the biggest, the biggest prize in the whole land was winning Bathurst, and and everyone you know wants to win Bathurst. So mm. um, we went there with a car that was capable of winning. We pole position was worth ten thousand dollars. Big money uh, those oh, days. It's yeah. huge money. You're talking about 1980. Yeah, and uh, and the competition was pretty stiff with obviously Brocky oh, and yeah. and Kevin Bartlett and things like that, and with the Channel Nine Camaro and uh, KB was on pole by like two tenths of a second mm. or a tenth of a second or something, and and second prize for that was. Uh, the centre of a donut, so <laughs> I ended I ended up with the centre of the donut. And anyway, as the race uh, started on the Sunday morning, I took off and and I was leading it reasonably reasonably well because mm. I knew if I ran fairly diff, fairly hard for the first fifteen or so laps because I knew the that Rocky didn't have the the out out and out pace to be yep. able to stay with us, and uh, KB in the Camaro they had. Obviously, some issues which were a bit of an Achilles heel, which were the brakes on the Camaro, mm. and uh, and everything worked to plan. Like 
KB's brakes fell apart and um, and he was in the pits after about 10 or 12 laps and Brocky at that point had, uh, trying to keep with us, uh, sort of clipped a, uh, a slower car when lapping it across the top of the mountain mm. and damaged the car, pulled into the pits and and at that point we'd put a lap on him and I thought, well, you know, I can sort of have a bit of a cruise down. And uh, during that, after the after the... We passed Brock and put a lap on him. I thought, well, I'll back off a bit, which I did. Yeah. And then, uh, then I get uh, up through the cutting and and I see this tilt tray truck, you yep. know, which is <laughs> unheard of these days. But back then, the, the race had continued. It was an obstacle, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> these they'd just put a, a white flag out, which denoted that it was a, a slower vehicle up there. Mm. And, uh, and the thing is that, um, that was in, back then they used to sort of have these tilt tray trucks going around if something broke down or there was an incident or something mm. like that. And the race continued. They just put yellow flags out and uh, and they'd go and pick these things up. And the tilt tray trucks obviously used to go and pick up all the broken down Commodores and that. And, <laughs> and anyway, as I sort of crested the hill there, I, I see this truck which had stopped in on certainly to the left of the uh, of the road. It's not very wide, it's only, mm. uh, I think the road there is about seven and a half metres or eight metres wide. And 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 uh, as I approached it, I see there's, there's the back of the truck and then between the truck and the bank there was there was this rock that sort of was on the road. And so rather than running the back of the truck, I decided I'd try and get round the rock and um, end up hitting the rock and... And that was the end of the race for me. It sort of wrecked the car and things like that. And what ensued after that was uh, pretty much history where, you know, people started ringing the Channel 7 and, mm. and that's when things really started to happen. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. Amazing in the fact you were, it was the famous True Blue XD Falcon. Um, as we said, you'd remortgage the house, you would put all the chips on the table and your first instinct, I guess, was to walk away. You were ready to say, that's me, back to the garage we go. Well, I was about to give everything to the bank manager, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, as it turned out, uh, with with what ensued after that, with uh, the people ringing up, wanted to donate yeah. money and that to keep get us back on the road, uh, was uh, one of the most humbling things that's ever happened to me. The punters started donating money, Ford then corporately started matching dollar for dollar. That was Edsel, Edsel Ford, who was yep. out here as the Vice President of Ford Australia. That type of behaviour uh, or, or gesture or honour or respect shown to an athlete, and as we sit here in 2020, that just couldn't or wouldn't happen these days, would it? No, it certainly wouldn't. And uh, Edsel, who I still have a, you know, a great relationship you know, to this day, mm. he's, uh, he's been out here. Since then, you know, to sort of take part of uh, um, some of the events we've had here and, and he wants to come back for Bathurst, so, you know, we'll see what happens. 
theories, questions, fictions, but not many facts about what actually did happen on that day. How did that rock get there? Do you believe you've ever found the truth? Well, I have actually because uh, a few years ago, and it wasn't that long ago actually, um, this, th- these people who were residents of the, uh, of the mountain at that point in time and because they're, they're locked in obviously for the day mm. and not particularly interested in motor racing at all. They just happened to be there and, and they, uh, they were sitting, because they live nearby, they yep. were sitting on the hill there and, uh, and they said they were just sitting there and there wasn't a person within 50 metres either side of them until these two guys who had been out on the juice all night. Had a few, yeah. Yeah, and they were pretty second-hand, I think. <laughs> and, they, and the only reason they took any notice is the fact that they, they came up and sat down virtually in front of them. One was sitting on a rock with his head in his hands. Oh. The other one was just lying down uh, with his head on a rock and playing with this other rock with his feet and accidentally, obviously, dislodged this rock, which ended up um, on the on the road. So uh, that's the one that I got. But they took off at 100 mile now and they've never to be seen. Never been seen since. If I did, if I could find them now, I'd, I'd uh, give them a great big hug. The stories that sport provides and the roller coaster it takes us on, it's why I love it. But 12 months later, you win Bathurst for the first time. No one can write a script quite like that. Well, it... It started a bit before the Bathurst, actually, because that was the first year, 1981, where I had a serious tilt at the Touring Car Championship yep. um, to run every race and things like that. And um, it's not like they do it these days. It was um, I had one guy, Roy and myself, and we drove the truck everywhere. We mm. worked on the car everywhere. I used to build the engines and the gearboxes and, and diffs and things and... And uh, worked on the on the vehicle as well, and and Roy, um, we used to sleep in the truck because really uh, yeah, couldn't afford any real accommodation, so we stayed in the truck everywhere we went, and because uh, it had a little kitchenette in the front of it, sort of thing, and 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 anyway, we uh, we sort of ran around the championship, and the last round of the championship was at at Lakeside in yep. 1981, home track, home track. Without a doubt, next to Bathurst, the the very next best mm. track in the whole country. It was just it's a fabulous little piece of road, and uh, and uh, anyway, Brock and I sort of went into that uh, into that race, the final race, uh, separated by one point, mm. and whoever beat who was going to win the championship. And uh, it was a hell of a battle from just the start. You know, it just we were both on the front row and. And as it turns out, um, I was fortunate enough to beat him by sort of a car length and win the championship in 1981 for the first time. And and between that and Bathurst, after we ended up winning Bathurst, albeit um, albeit a, a different sort of Bathurst, mm. uh, I was fortunate enough to say to myself, well, I think I've given back a little bit. Mm. Uh, to those people that sort of, you know, really trusted me for what I was doing and and for that I've been eternally grateful. Your home of anything auto is speedcafe.com. 
news, features, results, forums, calendars, jobs and more. The number one independent resource on the web. Get your daily racing fix at speedcafe.com. What are your first memories of Peter? Um, unbeknownst to me, yeah. like, um, he was um, – I did – I was in the first intake of uh, National Service. 65. 65, yeah. And uh, unbeknownst to me at that point, uh, two huts down in a different different platoon was Rocky. This is Blimey Barracks in Wagga Wagga? This is at uh, Wagga Wagga, yeah, yeah, at uh, Kapuka. Wow. Two doors down. Two doors down or two huts down, yeah. Along with a bunch of other guys as well. So, did you know each other then? No, we no. didn't. No, it's only when uh, we started. You know, obviously when he used to come up here road motor racing, mm. that uh, that I actually met him. What was special about the Johnson Brock rivalry over the years? Was it Johnson and Brock, or was it Ford and Holden? Oh, a bit of both, I think. Mm. Uh, it was just you know we had we had a good relationship, Rocky. Was a very different person uh, from when I first met him to uh, yes to later in his career, um, but you know, we got on extremely well. You know, the, you know, we used to on occasions we'd socialise. You know, after an mm. event somewhere and and have a couple of drinks. You know, not and they weren't um, they weren't green tea or anything. Either, yeah, I can tell you, but proper um, stuff, proper stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, men's drinks. You know. What's your standout memory of Peter, the man and the driver? Uh, obviously a very talented guy. Mm. Um, had a tremendous amount of self-belief, uh, which I think may have been his undoing. I don't mm. know. But, um, you know, that's only sort of my opinion. But at the end of the day, you know, you've just got to have great respect for everything which he did. Yep. And uh, the best part about Brocky was the fact that um, if he couldn't win a race fair and square, well, he wouldn't, you know, there's mm. any, any amount of times he could have tipped me off the road at, at that race meeting at Lakeside and, and in other events, but uh, we used to race each other um, fair and square. A sign of respect, but going both ways. Yeah, going both ways, yeah. absolutely, you know. You, you know. Everything I do, uh, have done all my life is um, I always put myself in – in, in the other person's uh, position before yep. I before I make a decision what I want to do. And and uh, for me, I think that's probably been one of the better things I've ever done. I think there was probably a lot of you guys like that in a wonderful era in Australian motor racing that were gentlemen, were respectful gentlemen, uh, whether it was yourself or Brock or Alan Moffat, um, Alan Grice, Colin Bond, uh, just a wonderful group of blokes. Yeah, but there were some loose cannons in there too. Absolutely, you know? yeah. But, but uh, you know, it wasn't a matter of, you know, oh, after you, sir, or anything like yeah, that. No. I can tell you, it was, um, you know, it was full-on mm. uh, combat when you when you're out there, but um, fair and square. Back to Bathurst and technology's unavoidable, especially in motor racing. Drivers now, to a large degree, complement the car. Back then a driver made the car. You'd fight and wrestle the steering wheel the entire time, especially at a joint like Bathurst. 83, Bathurst in the Saturday shootout. You're wrestling 
the car across the top of the mountain on your way to what would have been a good time and then an horrific crash. Have you ever thought of that one, how the hell did I walk away? Well, it's a strange thing. You know, you, you're always sort of, when you're qualifying, um, certainly then, and these these cars aren't, by any means, they were never perfect, I can no. assure you. They were, mm. they, compared to the cars today, the cars today are a proper purpose-built race car. Yep. And uh, they're virtually a Formula One with a body on them. Yeah. Um, and you drove a hotted-up road car. Well, hotted-up taxi, yeah. <laughs> so, and it was one of those situations where, you know, I sort of felt the car was pretty good, but it was – it had – it had a few uh, few bits and pieces I didn't like about it at yeah. that point in time, and and uh, that was clearly obvious because we're, we're you know Bathurst is a different place today. They've got fences all the way yeah. around and things like that. But but uh, coming out of Forest Elbow, there was a concrete wall that went for a, a distance, mm. and at the end of the concrete wall, they had stacked up tires that were full of concrete, um, which mm. protruded a bit. From, yep. from the fence, you know, and uh, and there for the people that every other day of the year that sort of drive around the opposite way and didn't want to run into a concrete wall. So, um, and I sort of lobbed there and I sort of just just touched the wall a bit with which you do because yeah. you use every bit of the road and anything else that might be there to help you. And and when I got to the end of the wall. Um, and I can show you downstairs. Some guy presented it to me about two years ago. Was the the uh, tie rod end that uh, really it hooked the front wheel and broke the tie rod end and and turned you right. And you know when it landed on the right end front wheel, it sort of oh. took off into the scrub and and uh, yeah, it was just one of those situations. And and I thought about that time. I thought, geez, I could be in a bit of trouble here. <laughs> and. <laughs> Fortunately for me, once uh, once the car had stopped, uh, I tried to get out the driver's door, which was impossible. Yeah, and uh, so I just crawled over around the great big camera that was in there, and uh, I got out the passenger side. And once I uh, got got out that door, um, I can't remember another thing till I was back in the pits. Fortunately for me, it uh, yeah worked out all right. You mentioned your wife, Jill, earlier. She's been there on this whole journey with you. Has she ever once said, okay, that's it, I can't, I can't take this anymore? Absolutely not. Really? Yep. Um, like we've uh, this year, what are we, 50 years this year? Mm. So. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, it's a marathon, I suppose, isn't it? But, <laughs> yes. But, you know, we, you know, and that's the thing, you know, we've, Marriages are things you have ups and downs with mm. and things like that, but but never once has she ever tried to say, no, you, you've got to give this up because we need a new bathroom or kitchen yeah. or something like that. It's just, just one of these things where um, I was lucky to pick the right one. Any elite athlete will tell you it takes more than just being physically fit to be at your best. And our friends at Galaxy Finance can have you at the top of your financial game. From home loans to investments and self-managed super funds, they provide complete solutions. Call Galaxy Finance on 1300 91 7740 
and mention you heard it on Andy Raymond Unfiltered to get an obligation-free chat to see how Galaxy Finance can assist you. So many great times. The touring car titles, 81, 82, 84, 88, 89. The two more Bathurst wins in 89 and 94. But emotionally, did any of these achievements quite stack up to the 1,000 win in, in 81, 12 months after The Rock? Um, that was a, The 81 Bathurst was a little bit hollow for the simple reason that it didn't go the full distance. Yep. Um, and obviously people question one's ability to finish the last 20-odd mm. laps or whatever it was. Um, but I had absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the car was, you know, fit enough to be able to – and it did because it, it ran the Gold Coast race mm. after that and um, and still sort of went as good as it ever could, you know. Mm. And, I, and to be quite honest, I think um, the most satisfying Bathurst, I think, was um, – uh, 1989, yeah. because uh, I think it might have been done once before by Brocky, but um, we we won every, we we led every single lap of the race yep. and uh, and won you know quite comfortably, and they, every Bathurst has has a different different feel to it and everything like that, and even 94. Mm. Um, that was when I had to get on the radio to JB when when a young snotty nosed Craig Leons passed him um, because he missed the brake pedal, yeah. and and I said, mate, I got on the radio. I said, mate, you're not going to let some snotty nosed bloody kid beat the famous John Bow. I said, so get your finger out, and and he did. He sort of and JB can really step up to it when he has yeah. to, and he's. Just a, a great relationship I had with him and still have. What about 92? What are your memories there? Because that was close but not close enough and probably the most controversial Bathurst of, of the modern era. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was different, so, to say the least. You know, um, it, it was that was probably one of the Bathursts where I believe that both JB and myself probably uh, drove the best we'd ever driven. Yeah. At the top of your game. At the top of yeah. our game. And mind you, you know, when I gave up, I was bloody 55. Like, mm. I never I never won a touring car championship race until I was 35. So you've got to add that up with the, the guys today. They're done and dusted before they're 40, for God's sake. You yeah. Know? But um, I think, you know, that event was um, was pretty special. It was, um, it was a hard-fought event and... And uh, one that I really enjoyed. You were often seen as, the, I guess, the Aussie battler. The invention of race cam in car cameras and microphones, did it add to the Dick Johnson legend? Because it seemed that you were extremely comfortable talking and driving. Yeah, that was um, – that's something that people miss. Like so many people comment uh, – mm to me uh, now that, gee, they really miss the days when you used to talk when you're driving around and stuff yeah. like that. And, and obviously for legal reasons they don't do it today yep. because, you know, the, the feather duster will come out or some damn thing. And, <laughs> but I, I, I really enjoyed that. that was a, mm. It was a part uh, and I loved being part of uh, the development of, um, of the whole category of, of touring car racing in Australia because it, 
it it was something that uh, got the imagination of people, especially yeah. Bathurston. And I, I enjoy a bit of humour. Um, I'd like to think that you know I always try and put a, a humorous spin on something, even if it's a serious situation. And and uh, and that for me was a, a perfect avenue for me yep. to uh, to display who I was as a person. As your Bathurst career started to wind down in. 98 and 99, you got to share the driver's seat at Bathurst with your son Stephen. How special was that? That was something that I think um, every driver would dearly love to be mm. able to do and and uh, I know it's been done with a couple of guys but um, to do it with your son and, and he, you know, he, he was an extremely and still is an yep. extremely good driver and to be quite honest, much better than me. It's just that, um, you know, how the younger generation sort of developed. He was very unlucky in in, in 94 when we, we actually won Bathurst. Um, had that car not have been put into a, in the bunker yeah. by the by the other driver, um, they, they could have very well been uh, second to us, mm. I can tell you, because, uh, boy, um, he, he really showed what he can do around there. And especially when you look... Look back to um, in two thousand seven or six or seven, whenever it was, when it started raining at the last fifteen laps of of Bathurst, yes, and they were on slick tyres. That just showed the ability. Steve was always respected as a firstly a good young man, secondly a good young driver. Did he have it tougher because his last name was Johnson? Absolutely, probably the worst thing that ever happened mm. to him. You know, was the fact that. Um, yeah, he the opportunities he could have had uh, without that name would have mm. been um, just something totally different, and I think his career would have been uh, uh, much more rewarding. I'm going to say 2007. He finished on the podium at Bathurst, not as a driver, not as a team owner, but with your wife by your side. How did that make Dad feel seeing the offspring standing up there? Oh, it was pretty special, actually, and it. Um, that was a race where it uh, it was so close um, to being on the top step that um, was just it just got away and um, and obviously at the time they um, the three of them were sort of sort of hammer and tongs for mm. the last number of laps and and uh, in in those conditions I can assure you that is not an easy job to do. Are there moments at Bathurst where as talented as the driver is, as confident as they are and as uh, faultless as the equipment can be, that it still takes your breath away and and that fear or terror or shock still reverberates through your body? Well, it certainly does. And if you don't, you're an idiot because yeah. um, you're going to kill yourself. Um, you, you've got to have a respect for uh, not only the people around you but certainly um, for, for your own well-being. And uh, when, when you when you're in a situation where um, you don't think about those things, mm. I think um, you, you're in a position of um, that I certainly wouldn't put myself in. Amongst a host of achievements, five-time touring car champion, three-time winner of the Great Race, Hall of Famer, a Q150 member, and an Order of Australia in the Queen's List. Is there a moment, an achievement? or a reward that stands out above any other? Actually, um, 
not really. I think uh, the greatest achievement um, that I have is uh, being able to, or have done is uh, being a good husband and uh, and certainly bringing up a good family. Great answer too. Probably gives us an example of why you're celebrating your 50th anniversary this year. Yeah, and you know, things only just keep getting better. Ford versus Holden, a great Australian rivalry that in some t- different periods over the years could very well have kept the industry alive because the customers genuinely buy into it. Is that a fair call? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, that really hasn't gone away because those, mm. those people still, irrespective of whether it's a Mustang or a Camaro or whatever it might be, it's, there's always been the, the Ford v GM. Mm. Doesn't matter where it is. And, uh, and even the Americans, when they come over, they just cannot believe just how the rivalry is over here. How it's passionate just, it is. It is extremely passionate yeah. and, and, and a good rivalry, not, not one that's vicious or anything yeah. like that. It's one that's um, much respected between both camps. And, and you see that on a lot of occasions when, you know, we, we even get a lot of emails and stuff from, from people who have supported Holden all their life yeah. and support a you know, Holden driver or something and, and they respect um, the talent and, uh, and the achievements that uh, some of the forward guys do. If you're enjoying Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Legend series, we'd love for you to go to Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening and subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating and review. Best weekly review wins an unfiltered trucker's hat. The two tribes almost came together for a while there in 90, early 90s against Nissan and the GTR. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> um, that was a situation where I think something came in that was clearly had an advantage. Yeah. Um, and uh, the rules didn't cover it. So, um, But uh, in saying that, uh, I think it was uh, good racing at the time and and certainly it's uh, turned into a situation where uh, we created, uh, should I say, a situation where each team owner or person who owns a team mm. uh, could then own part of the action and yep. that was something that's uh, – and maybe one day we'll write a book about that because it's one that uh, is worth a really good read. How was the transition to the real world following your retirement? Some athletes say they don't cope, some do. Which category does Dick Johnson fall into? I'd had enough. Yeah, enough was enough. Yeah, well, like um, when when you're starting to – and even the journos would say, you know, when are you old pricks going to sort of get out of the deal and let some of these younger guys have a go? Well, it wasn't so much that, mate, but I just felt you, you don't lose any one thing. Yep. You lose a little bit of everything. That's and, interesting. Yeah. And being a competitive person, I was in the last five, six years, mm. uh, I was very frustrated because of the fact that – Had you just lost a little bit of everything I was, then, I yeah. was feeling not uncomfortable but certainly mm. that, um, that I, I couldn't give it what, what it needed – to, to sort of be successful. The real world can often be more brutal than the racetrack. Unfortunately, not everyone is always as honest or transparent as we'd like to think. 
A decade after retirement, uh, I think your quote was, I was on the bones of my ass financially. Yeah. How difficult was that? Yeah, that was, uh, well, my biggest problem there is I trusted too many people and mm. and people unfortunately take advantage of of um, ones um, at times. So um, it's something that's in the past. It's something that... Um, Fortunately for me, a guy came along uh, who was a fan as a kid, mm. and and he came and virtually rescued me from uh, what was wow. certain disaster, and not financially. Yeah. Like he you know, he contributed a bit, but at the end of the day, uh, ran the place. Yeah, and not paid, just wow. shifted up from Melbourne to here and. Ran the business and he still runs it today, and that's uh, Dr. Ryan's story. Mm. How much do you owe him? Uh, an awful lot, mate. Yeah. To be quite honest, you know, like um, the way I've always looked at things is that, and I honestly believe that the only place that success comes before works in the dictionary. Love it, and and that's you know basically where I sort mm. of how I sort of got things working and uh, but Ryan was one of these guys who um, I've met a lot of people in my life mm. a lot of people and I have never ever met anyone that comes even close to the intelligence that this guy's got wow absolutely nowhere near it he's the smartest guy I've ever met in my life how did you fight yourself back to positivity and out of the hard times oh just by Working and and sort of, um, you know, it was certainly a big reality check when mm. when somebody knocks you off for nine point one. You know that. Uh, for me, it was a something that I had to do was made sure that everyone got paid and mm. and you go and that's why we still got a lot of guys today that we've had for many many years and at no stage during that time did they ever miss a pay packet. I like to believe in the saying good things happen to good people and as dark as those days may have been, they didn't last and your decade since has been vastly different. A wonderful achievement. Yeah, it has been very different and that, that's come through um, obviously the management of Ryan and mm. certainly um, bringing into the, into the place the, the Penske organisation which – uh, the way they do things is is significantly different to to what we do here, but yep. but not that different in the way the place is run. If you know what I mean, um, you can have a look at every single guy we have in the place. There's not one American here. There's nothing like that. Originally, for the first twelve months, they had people in place here or a person, particularly in place here, who uh, as a team manager just to install certain, um, I suppose, functions within yep. the business. Yep. So uh, they're standardised across the business irrespective yeah, so they, of their team. Yeah, they sort of, you know, put their policies in yep. here and, and right at the very top of everything, as you can probably see walking through the place, that right at the very top of everything they do is they put presentation. Yeah. And Roger always said that, you get the presentation right and everything else will follow. 
As a team owner these days, when you drive into a racetrack, the cars, the crowds, the competition, does it still give you that feeling or has that feeling changed over the years? Even Which you can't do these days, unfortunately, but even sitting watching the TV, I still get the, the butterflies. Yeah. yeah. Is there a final chapter in the Dick Johnson story or is it yet to be written? I suppose when I fall off the perch, mate, but that's not going to happen any time <laughs> soon, I can tell you. But uh, no, I think um, no, we'll continue on. I, who knows what happens um, the way things are at the moment. It's changed a lot of things and and what goes from here because it's a, it changes on a daily basis. Mm. So I have no idea where this is all going to end up. But uh, at the end of the day, mate, I'll still be trying to drive round a Ford. Been a wonderful career, a wonderful life. Dick Johnson, you, sir, are a legend. Oh, I'm just an ordinary dude. A new episode of the Legend series drops every Tuesday and the weekly Wodge every Thursday. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and follow us on social media at The Andy Raymond. Then you won't miss a thing. Come back soon. Legends. <laughs>